welcome, welcome. So this is just a random, but while we're waiting for people to, to hop on, um, I, I'm taking uh, Mandy Green's uh, classes on, on Mary Magdalene, a super fun. I was just gonna share a screenshot of her classes. If anyone's interested, this is an awesome class to take. Um, so the class is called Mary Magdalene and the Holy Grail. And um, anyway, just kind of looking at, at some of the lessons here, um, there's the Christianity we've never tried, the bride, post-crucifixion Mary in France and the bloodline, archetypes, the tower and the teacher, the trial of Mary Magdalene, artistic portrayals of Mary Magdalene, and then blossoming as the rose. Those are the ones so far. Anyway, it's been such a fun class. I'm only on, uh, I think, lesson three. I, I just finished it up. But uh, anyway, there's there's lots of fun, interesting new tidbits to, to consider and stuff. Thanks, Alethea, for tuning me into talking points, which led me to that. Which <laughs> talking scripture. Talking scripture, yeah. <laughs> yes, and I actually got online and looked at that. So I'm glad to hear it's a good class because I was like, I don't know. And then I also got on because she has the recommended books of the apocryphal writings and different things. And I'm like, oh, I want to get those and read. Mm -hmm. Now I'm reading Isaiah. <laughs> I know there's just no end to, to where everything takes you. But um, interesting to note, she is in the process of translating Isaiah. I don't know why. I haven't talked to her about it yet. But um, anyway she says in the process of translating Isaiah, I find uh, holy mother wisdom all over it. Uh, it's in every single chapter. And she's going to be teaching a class on that Isaiah and holy mother wisdom, etc. in the fall, which I, I think is highly interesting, especially after Isaiah decoded and, and everything that we do here, it might be an interesting one to, to take as well. Anyway, just random little tidbits while we were waiting for people to pop on. But <laughs> that's a whole new take than Avraham, right? Uh -huh, yeah, completely new take. And that's what she says, uh, not according to Avraham, but like, she's like, wisdom and, and knowledge is just so multifaceted. You know, one person can read this, one person can read this, but the author and the spirit's intent is to teach everyone um, in wherever they're at and whatever um, things that interest them and uh, brings them closer to God, etc. And so, uh, she's like, you know, obviously that's not the whole point of that, but from her expertise and, and study, that's what she's pulling out of it. And it was just amazing to her. Uh, anyway, just some fun little tidbits. And did you see that she does the little tours over to England and Ireland? Uh -huh. oh, that would be really fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be awesome. Like a whole different point of view. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, so let's go ahead and, and get started into Isaiah Decoded. Chapter three is an awesome one. It's it's kind of a a hard pill to swallow, <laughs> I guess, if, if you're going into it with a, a different frame of mind. But um, anyway, there's a lot of great information here. Uh, group A only got into the first two pages uh, for our full hour. The, group B uh, got a little bit further than that. Uh, I think page six <laughs> of the chapter. We'll see how far we can get tonight. But um, let's see who would like to offer. A, would anyone like to offer our opening prayer? Volunteer for that.
If not, I'll call my mom. I always do. <laughs> Our kind Heavenly Father, we're grateful to meet here this evening to discuss uh, Isaiah. And we're grateful for the things that we are learning and, and we hope to in, increase our knowledge of Isaiah and his teachings and what he's trying to tell us. Please bless us that we'll have this Thy Spirit with us as we Go over these things this evening and that we'll be able to discern truth and discern the things that are in there for us and these blessings we pray for in the name of thy son jesus christ amen all right so <clears throat> in the topic of babylon and idol worshipers etc um we've got a lot of interesting points that we can readily see in in the world around us, right? Uh, politics, entertainment, I mean, just uh, galore. We, we have so many examples of it. But as we are reading this book and, and looking introspectively, trying to, to weed out Babylon in, in our own lives, and um, as we are collectively trying to build Zion, um, what ways did you see the Let's see, how do I want to phrase that so it's not sounding awful? But in what ways did you see our fellow saints struggling in some of the things that were presented in this chapter, if that makes sense? Um, not that we're just like trying to call out people, but like whether it's in, in uh, yourself, within your family, within um, your congregations, etc. Uh, did you find that there were any interesting or maybe enlightening uh, parts of idolatry that we maybe need to to take a second look at and um, be prayerful about how we work on eliminating those things. That's a, <laughs> a loaded question there, but we'll see what we got. Well, Cameron, what stood out like the very first paragraph, and it, it just immediately stopped me in my tracks because it said, Knowingly or unknowingly, they serve the despot who actually calls the shots. And I thought, if we're not awake and we get sucked into whatever is happening in the world, like there's so many church members, and I have friends that aren't church members, that are just addicted to news TV. And they believe everything they hear on news TV. And then it reminded me of the phrase called useful idiots. That was, it's a, I posted it to the group. It's mm -hmm. something from Lenin, I think, or Marxism, where you don't realize you're being sucked into that mentality and you just go along with what's happening and you're mm -hmm. just not awake. And I think we can't be sucked into what's happening on the news media and let it influence us a lot because it's just, you know, they're, it's, it's different than when I was a kid. Of yeah. what news is anymore i think it's more propaganda anymore it seems like <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no matter what news source even you know whether it's left wing right wing or middle wing like everything is pushing some sort of agenda for for a purpose it's not just you know information for uh, knowledge's sake it <laughs> there's there's always some hidden undertones or blatant overtones as well 
Yeah. So I just think we have to be aware. And I think that's how we can be part of Babylon, just accepting that what they say is, you know, true or gospel without doing any further inquiry into their agenda or where their news is coming from, their information is coming from. So, Mm -hmm. and I just know lots of people that are addicted to news. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this upcoming generation, you know, my generation that is basically getting their news from memes and uh, stupid little things on on Facebook that are obviously misquoted or pulled out of context or completely made up. But yeah. that's where our, our news feeds are and an addiction that comes in in that form too. find it amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, I uh, Obviously, it's easy for me to remember the last thing I read, which was about the images mm-hmm. and the idols, right? But um, I have a friend who is not who does not live in Utah. And the area that she lives in, there are a lot of members of the church. But there's trends that go on, especially among women in members of the church. And um, she had a friend tell her, I would be interested in your church, but I can't keep up with the women because of all the plastic surgery, the lash. If she has a sister-in-law, she goes, her maintenance on her body is $600 a month minimum. And I just thought, sometimes do we not make ourselves like those graven images? She had another sister-in-law that did all this stuff. And then she moved to Chicago. And she's like, I look like a freak. I just wish I could get rid of everything. And I thought that was so interesting because we do, we get sucked into what it's like. And and our daughter-in-law moved down here. My son lived here. And so when they got married, she's here now, but she just told me the other day, she goes, I kind of like going to church here because it's not like this big fashion show. Mm-hmm. And the way that the women dress are just so much more earthy or down home. She was just telling me that this week. And so isn't, I just thought that was an interesting observation. Sorry, I have a clock that rings every 15 minutes. But um, anyway, I just thought that was an interesting observation that sometimes we even we look at others and we want to be so much like them. And then that's where we spend all our time and our focus is on things that really aren't that important. It always brings back to mind um, in the book of Mormon. And I think it was from Isaiah too, about the tinkling and the crisping pins and, you know, and how then their hair starts to fall out and all these things are gone. And anyway, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, even in Idaho, we see it a little bit, but <laughs> I I have never experienced a, a Utah congregation before. I, I can't speak to that at all. <laughs> Me neither, but I just know that that's a lot. That's kind of a big thing from what I hear. So anyway, I can vouch for that because we just moved from Utah to uh, Rangeley, uh, Colorado, and it's a teeny tiny little small, um, you know, mining, ranching, (laughs) you know, people like to go boating, do all that stuff. And, and um, the way I would dress for church in Utah, I mean, I have gone to church like that and I feel so overdressed that it's so true. And I, that's what my daughter-in-law said. She feels overdressed here. Like she doesn't need to dress as nice, but at Utah, she felt uncomfortable if she didn't dress that way because of the standard. 
Yeah, I can totally see that. And, you know, I never even thought, thought about that being um, a form of idol worship. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to think about that some more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, Sarah is raising her hand. Yeah, I, so I'm glad you referenced the, um, the scripture in Isaiah, because I was going to go off of that. Um, when it talks about the daughters of Zion, I thought um, there's a part in there that says that their um, inward parts would be, um, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I can't remember which, which it, which part is exactly how to word it, but the thought of um, plastic surgery came to mind because there's secret parts. And I thought, what would, what would that mean? Like their secret parts and the spirit whispered to me that it was likely those things that they do to enhance their bodies. And as he went on to talk about like the things that they were doing down below where they were, you know, putting their costumes on and um, having the music and having things that looked um, enticing. And I thought, oh, God, you know, I've, I've really um, taken down my, my, I grew up in Utah and now I live in Texas and it's so refreshing not to have, feel like you need to um, keep up. But at the same time, um, you know, it's everywhere. It just depends on what you get caught up in. But most importantly, um, I think it's so important, like you were talking about, as far as going to church, um, instead of focusing on what you might wear more, um, I mean, we all know it, we need to focus on why we're there, not what, what we're going to wear. And um, I recognize in myself, as I've let go of the things of the world, not put on so much makeup, not worry about the clothes I'm wearing. Um, I've, my heart has become attached to my savior versus like, the idea of going to church and things like that. So I've, I really enjoyed this chapter, not, not to mention, you know, the idol worship about movies and things like that. Cause I don't like movies and I don't like all that stuff. So for me, that's like, eh, that's not entertaining, but for the other parts I've struggled with at some time in my life. And so I'm just so thankful that I've been able to, um, distance myself from Babylon and I loved his approach on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that we all have the Abrahamic test of fleeing Babylon in one way or another. And so, you know, I'm, <laughs> I consider it a blessing that I was never loved sports and uh, different things or whatever, but, um, uh, but there are a lot of other Babylon things that I do. And everybody has their own struggles and their own test to, to flee Babylon. I, I loved uh, reading that from from Abraham's perspective, and now from Isaiah's, and just kind of seeing how important that is, that that specific test, and what it blesses us with when we overcome it, kind of thing, when we actually do flee. Um, in, in the Book of Mormon, sometimes it's laying down the weapons of rebellion. Um, there's, there's lots of different examples, but um, yeah, it, it's huge. And um, I think it also kind of comes in waves. I, I don't know if anybody else has, has seen that or recognized it, um, but I, I find myself fleeing uh, one aspect of, 
Babylon or idolatry. And then I kind of get a reprieve, a little bit of a break. And then the Lord points out another one. It's like, flee this one now. It Sometimes it's it's not just all at once, pick up, move a location, and then just forget about everything that, that happened before. But um, uh, anyway, I, I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, fleeing in, in different aspects uh, has been a huge journey for me over the, even just the last year, uh, many different ways that I've uh, been prompted to, to flee up. Yeah, Alethea. So I've found that like, um, as I started shedding Babylon, like there's a lot of, like, I loved Guardians of the Galaxy. But then when we went and saw the second one came out, like I had to get up and leave because it was just so disturbing to me. And, um, and I just thought that was really interesting because it's not really that heavy. It was just so um, violent to me. And yet it doesn't really seem like it's that violent. And so it was interesting to see different changes. And um, I can't remember exactly what I was going to say. Um, but, it, oh, I know. So I've made this transition. And really, we don't even watch TV. We've turned off the news. We rarely have the news on. Um, we just, we just don't. And we've dropped a lot of those things. Like, of course, the movie theaters, we would go to movies, but we went and watched Samson. We went and watched, you know, different kinds of movies than we had watched before. We went and watched, um, the Winnie the Pooh movie, whatever that was a few years back, but just very different than what we had been watching. So it's interesting. Cause I'm kind of going through this um, realization, I guess we had some friends drive through and visit, uh, that are moving to Nashville. She's actually the one that had all the friend that had all the plastic surgery said, I can't keep up with it. Anyway. Um, I said, do you just feel lost and like kind of in limbo? And she said, yes. And so I'm realizing that while I'm shedding stuff, I need to be replacing it with things. Not, I'm not talking about necessarily scripture study. Cause I do that but I still feel this like emptiness and this loss. And I think it's more that, and I think that um, COVID did this to us, but we need to, I need to fill it with acts of service and ministering more mm -hmm. that, that it needs to be replaced. So the shedding of Babylon needs to be filled. I guess the shedding of darkness needs to be filled with more light. And it's not just, sitting and studying it's it needs to be an act the act of faith not just having faith in reading does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah for sure i think we see that a lot in abraham's example uh -huh. of leaving ur he didn't do it um and just go on vacation or anything or or even you know just go and be a hermit and, and live a good righteous life but he was always positioning himself in in service kind of a thing. Yeah. And I just didn't know if anybody else was feeling that same way too. And my friend, you know, she's not studying any of this with me. And so it was just interesting that she said the same thing. So anyway. Yeah, for sure. So in the chat, Libby says that some things that really came to her mind was social media, big fancy homes, sports, and then processed foods and sugar, which, ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Do we idolize food? I mean, that's a foreign concept to, to a lot of us, but um, in, in a very real sense, you know, word of wisdom, etc. Like, um, how much have we gotten there? Most of our food is just 
garbage nowadays and <laughs> and we just kind of ride the the wave there yeah Elle's raising her her hand oh well what Alethea said about the void filling the void and I remember reading something I don't know how many years back but it's a law of nature that nature abhors a void so if you don't fill it with something good it will be filled with something else just as bad or maybe worse than what you took away so it is it's like a natural law so you've got to fill that you know when people have addictions to things if they don't fill it with something they're more than likely to go back to that same addiction harder or worse than it was before because they didn't fill it with something good replace it with something good so that's that's true <laughs> there's yeah. a quote i'm looking for and i'll post it in the chat talking about kind of about food or what is it's it's about sin it was one i think david o mckay or maybe it was president benson i can't remember who quoted it but it was his favorite definition of sin which which relates to babylon and <laughs> i just mm -hmm. i really like it and i'll have to look for it and i'll post it in the chat yeah for sure I wanted to, can I share a kind of a story that I have about that? Yeah. Um, I love Dr. Pepper like so much. And um, in Sunday school, a few years back, I think we were actually studying the New Testament when it happened, either the Old or New Testament. But we brought up the scripture in the Book of Mormon. Um, I think it was the Book of Mormon that I would, it was just that scripture that, oh no, yeah, it was the Book of Mormon. I would give away all my sins to know thee. Mm. And I remember I stopped and I thought, and I was like, I don't have like sins, sin. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Now we're talking about it and maybe I do. But what came up to me was I really do need to get rid of Dr. Pepper. And that's the thing that like, I'm like every day, every time I have to stop and get a Dr. Pepper and how bad that is. And I just really pondered that a lot. And, um, and I thought about the atonement and then I finally, after about a week or two of pondering this, okay, I'm ready to give this up. I, um, kind of, I don't, I don't know if I made a covenant, but I just said, Heavenly Father, you know, through the atonement, I need help to not drink this Dr. Pepper anymore. And from that time forward, I could drive by McDonald's or wherever, where I'd always stop and get Dr. Pepper. And I didn't need one. I didn't have a desire at all. And I was just felt so blessed. But then I kind of got back on the Dr. Pepper bandwagon again. I you didn't feel it was something better. <laughs> just I know that's probably what it was. And, you know, like my family would get it. I'm like, can I just have a sip? No, mom. I'm like, no, I just want to sip. I won't get addicted again. And so I need to get rid of my doctor. I didn't have one today. So, <laughs> but, um, but I just thought that was actually one of the coolest experiences was seeing that atonement take over. And, and I mean, I could just feel the bubbles on my tongue. It was like, oh, I just want that. And if I didn't, if I couldn't have a Dr. Pepper, I didn't want Sprite. I didn't want Coke. I didn't want anything else. It was just the Dr. Pepper. And, um, and that was just a really cool experience to see the atonement work that way in my life. And then kind of a sad experience to see me turn my back on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, for sure. Not to, 
I have to tell the end of the story, right? Maybe I'll have a better end later. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Just some random thing that that popped up from my mission. Um, Coca-Cola, huge in Mexico, right? And I mean, you don't eat unless you have Coke to go with it. And like, well, you there, can't drink the water. Yeah, and can you can't drink the water. I mean, we'd have to brush our teeth with Coca-Cola and stuff. But like, there was this family. There was the shortage of bottles or something like that. I don't know. Something happened with the bottles for a week or so, and there wasn't any Coke to be had. People literally were on the brink of hunger, starvation, because they couldn't eat their tacos without Coke. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is this is bad. <laughs> Like, what do you need? An IV drip of Coca-Cola? <laughs> anyway, side note, that's not even related. But um, anyway, yeah. Did I so see I, Stefan raise his hand there? Yeah. So I, I came in late, so I don't know if you talked about this already. Did you talk about the ascension of Isaiah? No. Yeah, go for it. So I found this is really interesting because after I read it and reread it, it's one of the best descriptions I've ever seen about faith. As, as he ascends, it talks about, you know, Isaiah ascending to the seventh heaven, right? In other words, all the way up. And as he ascends to the different levels of heaven, of God's creation, he can see uh, what happens on all the levels below him, but not those above him until he gets there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, isn't that a perfect example and definition of what faith is all about? You know, we we have to have faith that we are going to progress and become gods, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have faith that what is uh, in front of us and and what life will be like for us as we enter the eternities is everything we think it's going to be. But if we were able to see that, it really wouldn't require faith, would it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that um, it kind of works like what he details out there is kind of our uh, map for the eternities too, where those in the celestial can minister to those in the terrestrial and telestial and those etc. But they can't minister above themselves. Um, and 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 here's in this world, in this mortal existence, we also have a, a ladder set up like that, where um, that there's this ministering uh, taking place, and and you're not able to to see beyond because you haven't been there yet. And and I really like that that faith um, pulling in there. I hadn't quite put it and boiled it down to to that purest form of, of faith. There, that's that's very insightful. I'm writing that down. What page was that on? I remember reading it, but I can't find it now. Mm-hmm. 73 in the middle. Right it's underneath 80. figure 30. Okay. I felt like I just needed to underline everything in this chapter. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, like, it's Babylon and rebels and worshipers of idols. And I'm like, oh, I'm not on that level, you know, but what am I going to find in this chapter that's going to be interesting? Um, Literally everything. <laughs> we have so much. And of all of our chats, even with Abraham, I think that this one has been like the most 
things to chat about. Like there's there's all of these different parts that either we're seeing or are new insights, or um, it's just explained well through uh, Isaiah and through Avraham's uh, commentary here. Um, as we get into the actual text of, of Isaiah, this is also one of the, the most intriguing parts as we study what Babylon is and what Zion, the antithesis of it, uh, really becomes. By studying the opposite, we can study more about and understand uh, what the other is. I find that very intriguing, enlightening. Um, that's why the, the Lord works in patterns, so that we can, can see those uh, things more, more apparently. So one thing I thought was super interesting, I made note on um, page 84, it's at the bottom, but since you brought up Mandy Green mm -hmm. and the feminine, I thought it was super interesting that Babylon is represented by a whore and a harlot and that um, Zion is represented as a bride or a virgin. So it was both feminine. I just thought that was interesting. And I, I don't know, I've kind of been doing some thinking on it and haven't gotten very far with some other parts of the feminine representation in scripture and in the temple, but I just thought it was interesting that they were both feminine. Yeah, for sure. So um, have you studied much on Margaret Barker and, and Holy Mother Wisdom in the Old Testament, etc.? If not, that's a, a fun rabbit hole to dive down. <laughs> um, well, the one that I'm kind of thinking about right now is that trees always represent women, right? Yep, for sure. But then there's the tree of life. Uh -huh. Which is actually feminine. It's the right. fruit. It, the fruit is the masculine part. Right. So anyways, that's what I'm kind of pondering on now. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Some very fun things to, to talk about. And um, well, you put that, what was it called? I need to write that down. Margaret Barker. Oh, it, yeah, there's quite a few different articles from Margaret Barker, um, you... but she is not of our faith, but she, I think it's Methodist, if, if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, she, she deals a lot with the Old Testament and the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, etc., especially with Josiah's reforms um, and, and how Holy Mother Wisdom used to be in the the most holy place, the holy of holies, but she was taken out through those reforms and and lost ever since. And so we that's where we lost knowledge about our mother in heaven and and that wisdom, etc. And if you look at the the Kabbalistic tree of life, um, that there's understanding on one side and wisdom on the other, the masculine feminine, and the in between them is uh, that that hidden sephirot that uh, is often skipped over um, on our ascent to heaven kind of a thing. I, that's probably very confusing. I didn't explain it very well. I'm not a gospel scholar, but um, uh, Margaret Barker, I'll, I'll type her and Holy Mother Wisdom. That's not the name of an article, but uh, that's uh, some of her topics that she is heavily in right now. Thank you. Yep. Cameron, I was just going to say, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, our church has invited Margaret Barker to, to speak on 
the subject to several different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for example, like the the most, I think it's the most recent, there might be one sooner, but um, uh, after Elder Bednar's talk about the temple, etc., um, that that latest video that the church put out, most of it is Margaret Barker talking about our temple, which she's never <laughs> entered into kind of thing. I, it's very interesting that um, she knows so much about the old temple that she can describe ours perfectly uh, without even being a member and, and being endowed like uh, we are privileged to do. Uh, she, she gets cool. all the stuff. Do you remember the talks about uh, going on the boat or the, and um, bringing the food on there and not realizing till the last day that you actually got free meals, right? That was President Uchtdorf's talk on the cruise. Yeah, exactly. And on page 72, it really brought that home because it says, because no one originates as Babylonian or perdition, those who descend elect not to live up to their divine potential. And I thought, oh my goodness, isn't that the truth? Because none of us were put here to fail, right? Mm -hmm. We were always put here to succeed and become like God. And so then he said, consequently, those who act unnaturally or display spiritual deviations or moral depravity, oftentimes behaving less than human. And so, you know, we're God and embryos, aren't we? Yeah. And we're living not really up to our potential, but I never put the part together of because we didn't originate as Babylon or, or as perdition, right? We weren't put here to become that. We were put here to become God or become like God. And so we simply are not living up to who we're supposed to be if we don't seek that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as we dive into um, Isaiah chapter one, we see that that's playing out uh, big time because Jehovah is, is chastising the people for going to the temple and uh, for the wrong purposes. He's like, I don't need your, your proxy work and, and all of these things that you're doing because you're not here for the right reasons. And um, those, uh, I forget what word he uses, but it's not, he, those make me sick, but I, I'm tired of, um, of that stuff. We're, we go to the temple to actually see God, to commune with him. And um, that's why the, the temples get taken away in the, the end times that, that the children are not going for the right reasons. And, and, and until they learn what those reasons are, they don't get those temples back. And, and it's very interesting how Isaiah um, prophesies those things and, and how we, we're starting to, to get a taste of, of what that really means for us in our day, in our, our modern context of the, the church and, and some of the idol worship that we do, sometimes unknowingly. Cameron, can I talk about that just a little bit? And I just want to get what you guys think. When I read that in the book, I, I don't want to say I took issue with it, but I had a lot of questions 
because I've been studying about the first estate, Joseph Fielding Smith, among other things, said, well, they were talking about the pre-existence and how people followed Satan and then others followed the Heavenly Father's plan. He says, well, there are other spirits there who were not faithful in keeping of their first estate, yet they had not sinned away their right to receive bodies and come to earth and receive the resurrection. They were restricted in the privilege that were given to those who keep their first estate and who were promised to have glory added upon their heads. Um, and then Heber J. Grant goes on to say, um, let's see. So the, okay, he talks about what Joseph said about the, whatever degree of intelligence you attain in this life. And he goes, well, the same will rise with us in the life to come. It is because of the knowledge that we will have an advantage over those who are negligent in the life to come. It is now explained to my mind how some come into the, this world without any particular degree of energy or desire to labor for their fellows and for the spread of righteousness. It is because of their failure to have kept their first estate with diligence and fidelity. So it made me wonder when I read that, while nobody's born to fail, hoping, I guess, that they will turn, but they didn't keep their first estate. And I'm thinking that that just means that they didn't seek after the spiritual truths like those who kept their first estate, right? So while they were born here hoping, I think they were also born to be a, a thorn in our side mm -hmm. um, and to, to be Babylon. And yet here it said that nobody was born that way. And so I, I kind of, I don't want to say took issue with it. I think maybe I'm just trying to reconcile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, they are, they're very seemingly different uh, sides of, of the spectrum here. But um, uh, going along with that, we have the the light of Christ that is given to all, right? And and I think that that's where Avraham is is kind of pulling at it from on the levels of of the ladder, that we all are given certain gifts, um, regardless of our our state in the pre-existence, uh, what we attain to there, and and where we we came from. We all have certain gifts that we're given, and um, we can choose to to quickly uh, ascend and, and move on and start making covenants or start breaking them right off the bat uh, kind of thing. So there's the atonement is uh, both proactive and retroactive. It, it covers the sins that we made in the pre-existence. And so as we, we, I mean, we start off as in a clean slate, yet attitudes and, and demeanors and, and things like that aren't readily going to to change as soon as we're born, but um, I think the latter, meaning all of the same gifts are, are given at, at birth kind of a thing. That's the way I kind of took it, but I don't know if anybody else has has things to add and chime in on. Yeah, I, sorry, this is Neil. I joined late because I had to help my dad, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that the principle here is that... Sorry, you cut out there. Oh no. Um, let's see. 
Yeah, cut out just right as soon as you were kind of introducing your, your topic there. Sorry. <laughs> if you come back to it, you can hop right back on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, that, that quote has always uh, uh, played in my mind, you know, the, uh, the degree that we attain in, in this life will rise with us in, in the world to come kind of thing. And, and how that also pertains to our, our pre-mortal when we, so every time that we, we cross a veil or that we um, go uh, in transit uh, kind of a thing, that there's, we, we get to take certain things with us and then we get new gifts and, and things as we, we progress on there. Uh, very interesting thoughts. Yeah, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yep, yep. It decided to connect to the Wi-Fi, which isn't very strong. <laughs> I was just saying that you know progression didn't didn't start with our birth at Earth on Earth, and it doesn't end with our death on Earth. And so we do come here from a from different starting points, if you will. There were many great nobles, but not everybody was great and noble before they came here. And so in that sense, we all have the opportunity to progress, but, uh, but we aren't equal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think oh. Stefan raised his hand there. And if not, that's fine too. Um, so yeah, we're... Should we pick and choose to go from, from here? All right, we, <laughs> we have 15. Sorry, sorry. Okay, so at, at the very end of the chapter, they talked about the Roman games. And I thought, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I always thought in my life, those guys were really bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the more I read about that, the more I realized that, you know, in our own way, we're just as bad. Um. And it was really humbling to think, you know, that we as a society are doing some of those very same things. And then I start thinking of all these terrible things like Hollywood, the awards, uh, these halftime shows at these Super Bowls. And, you know, thank goodness I don't watch those, but I sure hear about them. And um, everything that goes on and how we idolize the rich and the famous as a society and do betting just like the Romans do. Uh, you know, we bet on teams, we bet on sports and it's become almost all consuming, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, our society is, is, isn't, I mean, thank goodness we've progressed a lot, but in a lot of ways we haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, idolatry is kind of the the same story throughout all of the ages of, of history and especially the, the children of Israel. They always fall from not keeping that that first commandment to, to love God above all other things and, and let everything else go kind of thing. Yeah, very interesting. And then um, I think it was Joanne had her hand raised. Oh, I was just going to say, I loved on page 80 where it talked about we need opposition to ascend um, with God's help, but we, I mean, we have to have opposition. Obviously it started with Adam and Eve opposition in all things, but it's interesting to think because it's easy to look at other people that you don't 
see their problems or their trials or their challenges and you think, and they're so faithful and, and you just think, what challenges do they have? I mean, how, I mean, obviously that probably comes down to um, maybe they came down on a higher level. I don't know, but then we also can think about the millennium. I mean, think about the children born in the millennium because Satan won't have any power, so they won't have opposition. So obviously they start at a high, maybe they just don't have to prove themselves. I don't know, but mm -hmm. that was, that was, you know, that made me feel better when I thought, oh, we have to have opposition. Okay. So I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to whine. I'm just going to take it and try not to, you know, you know, have a pity party when I have a lot of opposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's such an important principle to, um, uh, like when I first read it in this book, I was like, oh, that just makes sense of things now. And I can face trials better and with more faith and uh, not that I'm being punished all the time from God like this. Uh, it's a, a very loving God that, that helps us um, ascend. And that's kind of the, the process here. But very interesting when you bring up about the children during the millennium. So how do they, I haven't wrapped, wrapped my head around this, but when you brought that up, like, well, we know that everything is the pattern, but does it go kind of back to Eden where that's why they have... Um, just kind of joy, but um, they, they don't have some of that humiliation before they ascend. And that's why at the very end that we do have a final war at the uh, Battle of Gog and Magog there. Uh, I had never pieced that together in, in the scheme of all of these things that, that um, Isaiah is talking about. I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while. That's going to be an interesting topic of study for this next week. Yeah, <laughs> that is interesting to think about yeah that was that i was taught in the church when i came into the church that that's why god is so fair because it wouldn't be fair for us to be in this world and to go through all the trials and tribulations that we do and then in the millennium for the children to have peace and quiet and an incredible life without having the war at the end to be able to test them also Mm -hmm. And I always enjoyed that as a non-member, knowing that, that God is fair regardless. Yeah. And the same goes with preaching the gospel, right? Being in this life and the next life, you will, every soul will have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to understand it and to make a choice. And that's one of the things that really allured me to the church as I studied it, because being raised uh, in Catholicism and Lutheranism, there are so many mysteries and so many nuances that never seem fair, right? Mm -hmm. And this one just seemed so fair and so loving and so right as a heavenly father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that reminds me of the parable of the workers that worked all day long, right? And they got the same pay as those that came in the 11th hour. And I guess you know, they reaped blessings too, and they didn't have to worry and stress about not having, you know, work for all that time. And, you know, we compare that with members of the church and then those that are brought in right at the end. I mean, it'll, our kids, we can, we can use that with our kids too. You know, they, they're fine with something until they see that somebody else has something better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. 
great. It's going to thunder now and Chloe's going to cry. Um, let's see. Does anybody have any insight as to how the wicked Babylon is going to be taken out in one day? <laughs> I'm so excited for to, to watch that one play out, but I have no idea how that 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 works. Where's the page that talks about the shipping? Um, that's a, a very interesting concept. On page 86, um, the shipping plays an essential part in the economy of, of John's Babylon the Great, etc. And then um, towards the end of that paragraph, an entire world economy and all that depends on it entirely and it irreversibly passes away overnight. I'm like, whoa, can you even imagine? <laughs> I just don't even fathom how all of that um, works, but you know, God does amazing things. And of course he can do it uh, just like that, but that'll, that'll be a fun day, whatever that is. Hopefully I don't have any packages in transit. <laughs> Didn't we see kind of that happen with COVID though? That's true. Yeah. I mean, it happened so fast. I mean, everything didn't pass away, but all of a sudden everybody was locked down. Businesses were closed. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I can kind of see that happening and we keep hearing about this great reset that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's what it reminded me of. As well, in COVID's kind of just a, a trial run and and uh, a future plague or something that's planned can can really bring things crashing. Hmm. Well, and isn't it interesting the whole Suez Canal thing going on? That's what I, what that's what brought to mind for yeah. me the whole canal. I mean that there was millions of dollars lost every day because that ship was stuck there, mm -hmm. and. Um, Anyway, that's what brought, that's what came to mind when I read that part. Yeah. Sure. They got one hefty fine. <laughs> the, on the page before in 85, it says in just one day, she is utterly incinerated and exists no more talking about Babylon. And it's like, oh my goodness, if that doesn't scare the, boy, <laughs> nothing else will. I mean, you clearly don't want to be on the Babylon side, right? Mm -hmm, for sure. I mean, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, if you are on the bad side there, and all of a sudden there's, there's hail and brimstone and all this stuff happening, like, man, I, it's better even to have half faith and get out of there rather than do all of that. I, I can't even imagine what that, that must be like. <laughs> I don't know where it was, but um, I thought that it was really comforting. It was in several places, I think near the end of the chapter, where it talked about that um, while Babylon is destroyed overnight, that um, those in Zion would be safe. And that was really comforting. So anyway, kind of, again, two sides to the coin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's so much peace in the gospel, but there's a lot of peace in uh, studying the words of Isaiah. Uh, yeah, there's all the end times, but uh, if you'll just keep your covenants, you've got blessings. Um, we might have to go through some hard things and some humiliation and, and everything, but the Lord provides a way and, and protects and uh, 
and prepares his people. And I find that so comforting uh, for the last days. You know, I, none of us are perfect, but um, I'm at least trying. And so I, I have some hope in, in, in some protection there. I'll show you what a stake president of mine said to me um, and actually to the whole stake. And I asked for his talk and he gave it to me. He's all about covenants. And it was just an eye-opener for me. I'll never forget it. He said, we live in a day and age where people allow the emotions to dictate covenants, whereas their covenants are supposed to dictate their emotions and actions. And he said, as a state president, he said, we as a society need to change. We need to have covenants being the foundation of our life and that everything emanates from that guide us, direct us, to shape us, to mold us, and to allow us to know how to act in life. Wow. I yeah. like that. It, it, it states it just so perfectly right there. Yeah, that sums it all up. Yeah, I, I love good stake president talks that are in tune. Our, our state conference is this weekend. I'm excited. We'll see what we got there. I also liked, I had it a second ago and now I've lost it, um, where it said the Hebrew word for worship is work. Mm -hmm. I really like, it is a lot of work and that's what Babylon focuses on. Not just the, the power and the money, but also the leisure, right. Mm -hmm. And the money, so we don't have to work or whatever. And so it is, it, it takes work to fulfill our covenants and to do what we need to do. And so really like that mm -hmm. yeah because, and you know, the the hebrew well i'm not sure on this actually it could be hebrew it could be greek i can't i don't have my notes in front of me but um the the word for rest like when we enter into his rest kind of a thing it's not rest as in um slumber or um retirement or anything it means holy work it, it's not the regular work but it's a holy type of work and, and that brought a whole new light. You know, that's what we do um, when we are on the day of rest, the, the day of the Sabbath, and we enter into a holy work. We enter into something that's not our own, that um, is holy gods there. Yeah, go for it, Mom. Well, I was just thinking with <clears throat> when we enter into our covenants, starting with baptism, our first one, um, Christ becomes our father, our covenantal father. And, and he tells us, I will be your protector. He'll fight our battles. Yeah. Protect this. You got a lot of um, chat there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to catch up on it. I didn't see all of these things. So like Elle's posting that quote, et cetera, and kind of back and forth there. And Alethea. Um, so let's see, uh, Libby says that it, this also fits in with the climbing of the ladder, uh, in the business world in chapters one and two. Yes. And then, uh, Sarah says that Michael Rush has a three book series that talk about the end times and how he believes things will come about. It's very interesting. And I especially like the second book, the remnant shall return. Yes. Those books are, are very good. The, <laughs> the one on revelation, um, that was the, a hard one to read for me, but I, I finally got through it. There is a lot in there, um, but uh, I love reading other people's takes on on things. 
um, uh, different people's commentaries as we can learn a lot from each other, right? Everyone has parts they're they're like i always tie it back to the the six blind men of Hindustan. Uh, somebody's touching the the trunk somebody's touching the tusks somebody's touching the tail and we all have a lot to gain from each other's um perspectives and interpretations of the scriptures etc and um michael rush is is definitely uh up there on on one of my recent favorite ones um let's see I, I don't know. I, I haven't read through all of the, the long ones. Does anyone want to sum those up, those quotes that are put up there? <laughs> discourses. Well, those ones were, we, we talked about them earlier and stuff. Okay. So she was just wanting to reference where they were in the manual. I think you're caught up there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I have a hard time keeping up with chat sometimes. I'm long-winded and I'm just sitting here. <laughs> At the end of the book, it talks about choices, right? Mm -hmm. Making wrong choices. And I thought how appropriate and how good for us as parents to be able to help our kids, be their, or even our grandkids, right? Because he puts it so easy, he says, making wrong choices causes people to regress spiritually and to move down the ladder. And then it goes into three or four different examples and I thought you know that's that's really right because if you understand a ladder principle going up and down if you make a wrong choice it's like shoots and ladders right <laughs> you start over again almost <laughs> and I thought what a wonderful concept because making just a wrong choice remember the wonderful talk I think it was president oh my goodness who is a prophet um Inkley I think about the switch point and the uh, three inches of steel moving you to Florida or New Jersey, right? Mm, yeah. And that, that was a switch point in his life. I mean, in the life of that particular railroad car. And I thought, you know, and that's the same with us. If we make a wrong choice, it could be really bad for us to go against our covenants. Or if we do something wrong to and, and I think that really helped me. And when I talked to uh, my daughter coming home in two weeks of permission, and it's just, I can't wait to talk to her to see all that she's learned. And for the fact that she wants to keep that spirituality up and helping her to do that. And part of that discussion is making what right choices, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. Um, I shared this talk in both uh, groups A and B. Um, I just put it in chat there that um, it came to mind as, as we were talking about um, all of these topics about choices, like you said, and um, uh, Bradley Foster's talk, it's never too early, it's never too late. He talks about a uh, young Pablo that um, his dad, uh, let me let me just read some of it because it's so good. I, I was just gonna throw the link out there and have you read it yourself. But um, he he's just very impressed with this young man that he's interviewing, and he says, Pablo, what was it that helped you come to this point in your life, standing so uprightly before the Lord? And he responded that it was his dad. 
And he says that when I was nine, my dad took me aside and said, Pablo, I was nine once too. Here are some things you may come across. You'll see people cheating in school. You might be around people who swear. You'll probably have days when you don't want to go to church. Now, when these things happen or anything else that troubles you, I want you to come to talk to me and I'll help you get through them. And then I'll tell you what comes next. So Pablo, what did he tell you when you were 10? Well, he warned me about pornography and dirty jokes. And what about when you were 11, I asked. He cautioned me about things that could be addictive and reminded me about using my agency. Here was a father year after year, line upon line, here a little, there a little, who helped his son not only hear, but also understand. Pablo's father knew our children learn when they are ready to learn, not just when we're ready to teach them. I was so proud of Pablo, etc. And then uh, goes on to talk about uh, Brother Foster's experience with his own children as he implemented this principle. And I found that just so intriguing how this is just mirroring what we're we're seeing here with the choices that we make as we're ascending on the lab uh, on this uh, ladder to heaven we all have similar tests although they they might present a little bit differently in each of our lives but we all have the same uh, tests of loyalty to ascend the ladder and so as we are up uh, on the next stage helping those uh, beneath us to to come up and and rise that if we do it with an eye single to the glory and and honestly trying to help them saying i've been where you are i know what you're experiencing now come talk to me and i'll tell you what's next uh, i find that so reassuring um as we're we're studying isaiah these prophets that even our modern prophets apostles and leaders are are talking about these same patterns uh, sometimes just in a little bit easier way or or maybe they don't sound so harsh and, and resonating as as some of the the stuff in isaiah is but the the principles hold true that um we we have so much truth here in in these old prophecies of Isaiah that are playing out in our days. And, and like Stefan said, it really comes down to just choices. That's the, the thing that, that it's the pattern of, of all things with Adam and Eve, with Abraham and Sarah, etc. Um, but that determines if we rise or if we fall. We never just can stay constant. There's no progression in that. We either have to, to make good choices, even when things are hard, uh, even during our decent phases, etc. But but choices are are so key, so important, and I, I love that talk to to bring that out. Um, and Alethea says that she lives on page ninety five. But God forgives their idolatry when they destroy their idols. Yeah, for example, uh, for example, exactly. I, I totally agree with that. Um, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter what we've done. As long as we haven't went to perdition, there's always forgiveness, and and we can always come back as soon as we're we're willing to take our broken hearts and 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 give them up for a new heart each week at the sacrament. What what a refreshing ordinance that is, because that ordinance applies to all levels of the the ladder. No matter where you're at, no matter what covenants you've entered into, if you renew it. If you truly go with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, he'll forgive and, and, and start helping you 
uh, work your way up to, to more blessings, more power, um, and more ability to, to help others. That's such an amazing part of, of the atonement that is somewhat new to me as I'm going through Isaiah here. Um, you know, so, in, yeah, in, the old, in the Old Testament, just a real quick thing, we used to teach that the reason why God loved the Israelites so much was because they were monotheistic. Mm -hmm. And when they came through the 40 years, they were promised that, that they would remain monotheistic and not succumb to the other idols or the other gods as they entered into the promised land. If they would actually kill and throw out those idols and those people, that they would be a blessed people. And they didn't. They allowed the groves still to stay there with the, with the false gods and Ashtaroth and Baal and, and all those things. And eventually, this, in this chapter, it even brings that up, that by 600 BC, they were so bad. And of course, 597 is when they were taken captive, right? And it's amazing that Heavenly Father lays it out simple for us. If you're monotheistic, if you believe in God, you don't put any idols in front of you, then that's what he wants us to do. It's when we put the other idols in front of us that eventually he takes us out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's why this chapter is so important that we understand and can can root those things out of our own lives. You, you know, those in Babylon often don't realize how bad things are and, and how many times uh, the, the Lord has had to just blatantly put it out, get rid of this. Oh, is it that bad? Yes, it is. And then once those are gone or, or out, then it's like looking back, holy cow, what was I even thinking back then <laughs> kind of thing. And and how much more that, that plays out as, as time goes on and, and he helps us remove more and more things out of our lives. Yeah, go ahead, mom. Well, I read this chapter about a little over a month ago. And I honestly didn't think I had any idols or, and I thought I'd got rid of Babylon out of my life. But I, I took this to Heavenly Father and asked, and I got an answer. And it was, a, it's been a hard pill and I've had to get rid of some, it's been an interesting month, but uh, the, the Lord helped me through that and and I got things cleansed out. And anyway, it, I didn't even know I was there till I asked. And he did. He told me. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then Elle's raising her hand. Oh, well, just the comment that um, was made at the beginning and then the recent one by um, Stefan, I think that made it about monotheistic. Um, what really, I don't know, it just came to me one morning and I don't even think I'd read this section in the book, but where it talks about um, the harlot of Babylon and the virgin daughter of Zion. And it just made me think of the bride of Christ and that we have to have like a monogamous relationship with Christ. He's the bridegroom and we're the, we're the bride. And so we have to become pure and holy without spot. So we have to not just be forgiven of our sins, but we have to be redeemed of our sins. If we're going to be like of the church of the firstborn, 
which would to me be the virgin bride or the virgin daughters of Zion. Mm -hmm. So we have to completely, you know, we have to work our way up the ladder to keep repenting until we're totally redeemed of our sins. So we have no desire to sin. So that just really stood out to me. I've just kind of collected stuff on that. It just was kind of just formulating in my mind. I'm still doing a study on it, but it just came to me one morning. So it was interesting. And that might be just full of hot water, but just that and then the new and everlasting covenant, I'm trying to tie it all together. It just kind of made sense to me at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, if anybody wants a great movie to watch <laughs> is um, Amazing Love. And it's the, the biblical story of Hosea and Gomer. Um, I don't know if I've ever felt that principle of uh, Christ and, and his bride and, and everything more potently than through that, that movie there. Um, it, I can't even remember. It has um, little Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings in it. He's the, the main character. But um, anyway, it's such a moving portrayal of how Christ redeems his bride. Um, that, that story of Hosea and Gomer is, is life-changing. Uh, you can look at it on YouTube and um, I think that the, you can rent the video there as well, but you can see like little clips from, from the movie. Very, very moving. If you want to dive in and, and uh, study more about uh, Christ and, and his bride there, uh, I love that. Um, yeah, any other closing thoughts as we wrap up we kind of went a little over time we did get through more in in group c than than the other two groups (laughs) but we had some very interesting discussions you'll have to go and watch uh, group a and b as well uh there's lots of interesting things (laughs) um yeah let me type it out here amazing love let me just find it real quick and I'll post a link to that. Hey guys, ready to go? Um, sorry. Um, all right, there's the, the link to um, the, the trailer anyway on YouTube of amazing love i'm not sure who published it or whatever but um it's not of our faith but uh it's perfect nonetheless (laughs) all right yeah well if no one has anything else before we close out can you uh, post last week's uh group c to the group last week's chapter two you have a and b but not c's group and I missed last week's discussion oh, yes. C. Um, so I revamped that on on learning Zion. It should be there now. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, and I'll post this one uh, later tonight. It takes about, I don't know, 40 minutes to upload and stuff. And so uh, as soon as I get that done, I'll, I'll post the link and, and not forget it this time. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great week, everyone. It's been fun. (laughs) We'll see you.